Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, that that video alluded to says, but understand this, that in the last days, that means the days at the end, hard times will come. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, hard-hearted, unforgiving, backbiting, without self-control, brutal, hating what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of, uh, of God, holding to an outward form of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. In the end, that's what is going to happen. And we are seeing the evidence of those things increasing more and more every day. We are back in our series of messages called Endgame, and I'm thankful that you have joined us back into this. We started this series of messages last fall. We took a break for the months of December and most of January, where we did a Christmas series and looked at God being there for us, for uh, our need of him in a weary world and a weary time such as this. But we have a lot more left to cover as we talk about the end times. We have been going through the book of Matthew, Matthew 24 verses 1, uh, Matthew uh, 24 and on, and actually into Matthew 25. We've only covered verses 1 through 14. We have a lot more to cover. We're going to be getting into the book of Daniel, but we're going to start that uh, next week where we will get into Daniel. Today is more of a reintroduction and a reminder of what this is about and how God wants us to be changing, how he wants us to be growing in the midst of looking at the end times. In the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7, it says this, now the end of all things is near, so be self-controlled and sober-minded for prayer. We have to have right thoughts, right thinking, be sober-minded and in prayer as we see the end approaching uh, closer and closer every day. In First chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, it says, So brace your minds for action. Keep your balance. Set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua Jesus, the Messiah. Like obedient children, do not be shaped by the cravings you had formerly in your ignorance. Instead, just like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in everything you do. So get your minds ready. Wake up. Get yourself girded and ready for action. Be in the right frame of mind in the right position. It reminds me of a story that that I had heard, and the story was of an 85-year-old woman. She was living with her daughter, who was in her 60s. Both the daughter and mother were uh, were widows, and the older uh, woman, the 85-year-old woman, was set up on a blind date. 
she was set up on a blind date with a 92-year-old man. She went on this date with a 92-year-old man. She came home about two hours later, and she was very, very frustrated after this date. Her daughter said, Mom, what's wrong? What went so bad on this date? Why are you so frustrated? She, in her frustration, said, Well, I had to slap him three times on our date. The daughter said, what? You're kidding me. You mean he got fresh with you on your date, this 92-year-old man? She said, no, I had to slap him three times because three times I thought he was dead and I wanted to make sure that he hadn't died on our date. It is time church in the same manner and in the same way to wake up. Wake up to the world around us. Wake up to the events that are going on around us. These end-time events are accelerating more and more as you line them up with what the Word of God says. We look at the Word of God and what it says. It is coming more and more into alignment. Now, let me just remind you of what we have gone through. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus was asked a question. The question really stemmed from a conversation that Jesus had at the end of Matthew 23. At the end of Matthew 23, Jesus was in the temple, the temple in Jerusalem, and he was talking to a bunch of religious Pharisees, people who looked good on the outside, but their hearts were far from God on the inside. Jesus confronted them, and he basically pronounced judgment against them. The judgment that Jesus pronounced was a judgment right out of the book of Daniel. Now, the disciples, when they would have heard this, they were kind of shocked and they were stunned. And as they were leaving that place and headed back to the Mount of Olives, they began to talk to one another and they began to ask Jesus some questions. Here's what it says. Now, as they came to the Mount of Olives and the disciples again talking to each other, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, which was about a 20-minute walk from the temple area, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming? What is going to be the sign of the end of the age? That's the questions that they wanted to know. It's the questions I want to know. You probably want to know the same questions or the same answers to those questions as well. When is this stuff going to happen? What are the things that we should be looking for? When is the end of the age actually going to come about? Jesus answered them, and he answered them in this manner. He said, he said, be careful that no one leads you astray or deceives you. For many are going to come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and will lead many astray or deceive many. Then he said this, you will hear of wars and you're going to hear of rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must happen, but it is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation. Remember that word, if you were with us in the fall, the word nation is the word ethnos. It is the, where we get our word ethnic from or ethnicity from. It's not going to be that nations are rising like, uh, like Brazil is going to fight against, um, uh, against Norway. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people groups. Ethnicities are going to be rising up. There's going to be a lot more tribalism that is going to occur that is going to rise up and we are going to fight against each other. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of good, of God against the kingdom of darkness, against the kingdom of the enemy. They're going to rise up 
against each other. There's also going to be famines. There's going to be earthquakes in various places. But these are only the beginning of the birth pains. In other words, the contractions are just starting. We still have a ways to go before the delivery actually takes place. The contractions are just starting to get going. They're intensifying, and they're going to continue to intensify until the end happens. Jesus then says, then they will hand you over to persecution, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all the nations because of my name. And then many will fall away, will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Because lawless, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, we had talked all about all of those verses, and what do these verses mean, and how do these verses apply to us, and what could this possibly indicate that's going to happen in the world? My firm conviction and my firm belief is that we as believers are called to persevere to the end. We need to hang on. Now, I know many of you disagree with that, or maybe not many. Some of you disagree with that. You believe in a pre-tribulation or a mid-tribulation rapture. I am one who believes in the end rapture that's going to happen. It will happen after the tribulation events, but before the wrath of God. Whatever it is that you believe, the reason I'm giving you this is I want you to be prepared. It is better to be prepared and not need it, then not be prepared and find that you wish you had been prepared. You find that you really did need it. We need to be prepared and prepare our hearts and to prepare our minds for the ends that are going to come. Now, Jesus then said after that, this good news of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. What we have looked at in this timeline is this, that there is going to be a time of deception and there's going to be false prophets that will arise. There's going to be social, global, and ecological pressures. There's going to be persecution and the hatred of Christians. There's going to be a falling away from the faith, a betrayal, and a hatred of one another. Lawlessness and lovelessness will grow but the world will be evangelized and many believers will come to know Jesus before it is too late. Then you have this incredibly important event that happens right in the middle of all of it, three and a half years before the end, called the abomination of desolation. Now we're gonna look at that starting next week because we are gonna have to pour through the book of Daniel to understand what Jesus meant in all of that. Today, I wanna look by way of reintroducing this series, I wanna look at that end thing. Jesus returns, but I wanna look at what it says underneath it. God's wrath. And the question I wanna to pose to you today it, that I want you to really be wrestling with is why will God pour out his wrath? So today's title is The Reasons for the End of All Things. Why doesn't God just let it go? Why doesn't God just step away? Why is God going to bring his wrath, also called his fury? Why will that happen? Let's pray as we begin, and then we're gonna seek God in our time here today. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand why you are gonna bring your wrath. I, I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand why the end is going to come, why you will not just let this go on forever and ever. 
why we have to be right with you in order to avoid the wrath and the fury that you're going to bring. I pray, Father, for those in this room or those that are watching that don't know you. They have kept you at arm's length. They really have never committed to having a relationship with you. They're skeptical about whether or not you're real. They're skeptical about the end times events. They're skeptical about Jesus, your dying on the cross and rising again. And I pray, Father, that before it's too late, that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. I pray, Father, that our hearts would be challenged by you today and that we would do some introspection and self-reflection and look at our own hearts and our own minds and make sure that we are fully yours. Lord, have your way among us. Teach us your word as we get into studying your word now. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you today to turn to the book of Romans. If you have a Bible or if you're following along on the app of your, on your phone, if you have a tablet, if you are taking notes, today we are going to be in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 32. And we're going to look specifically at what Paul says about why... God is going to bring his wrath. What are the reasons for the wrath of God that's going to come that will culminate at the end of all things? It's going to happen at the end. Why will God finally bring his wrath? Now, I believe that according to the book of Revelation that the tribulation of God and the wrath of God are two separate things. You have to understand that we are going to go through the tribulation times. We will not go through the wrath. We will be removed from the wrath of God. There are two possible positions that you could find yourself in today or even at that moment. And the two possible positions are these. Number one, I am under the wrath and the fury of God. I am one who is going to have to face the wrath and the fury of God. Or number two is this, I am free from the wrath and the fury of God. If I were to that question today, do you know where you're at? Do you know what's going to happen to you? Do you have certainty over what's going to happen to you? Would you be able to answer that? Do you know without a doubt that you are either under the wrath of God or that you are free from the wrath of God as you sit here or as people watch today? Are you under the wrath or are you free from the wrath of God? Now, Paul is going to give us, in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, the reasons why God's wrath is going to come on this world. And he's going to give us multiple reasons. There's actually six reasons that he is going to lay out of why the wrath of God is going to come. And then he's going to tell us the results of the reasons that Paul is going to give. He's going to give a summary statement as to the overarching theme of what all of these reasons are first in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Look what it says. Paul wrote these words to the Romans. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed. That means it's coming. It's going to be delivered. It's going to be exposed from heaven against all, notice these words, it's going to come against all ungodliness and it's going to come against all unrighteousness of men. Here is the reason of the wrath of God. God's wrath is going to be poured out because mankind is ungodly and unrighteous. 
What is ungodly? The word ungodly means wickedness, the desire to do ungodly things, having lusts or desires after evil things, the disregard and the defiance of God's laws. That's what ungodliness is. The world is ungodly, and because of the ungodliness of the world, God's wrath is going to be poured out. God will not idly sit by forever. He is patient. He is kind. He is slow to anger, hoping that we will all come to repentance. But there will come a point in time where he will be like the famous Popeye cartoon, where he will say, I've had all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. And his wrath will be unleashed. God's fury will come against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is a hardness of heart, a wrong standing with God, not being in right standing with God. So this is the reason for God's wrath. God's wrath will be poured out on a world who hates him, who wants nothing to do with him, who walks in ungodliness and walks in unrighteousness. So that's the overall summary, but now he's going to give six specific reasons of why the wrath of God is going to come. Here's reason number one. Reason number one for the wrath of God is there has been a suppression of truth. A suppression of truth. Let's look at what Paul says to the Roman people. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. In unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. Because what can be known about God is plain to them, for God has shown them. What does it mean to suppress? The word suppress in the Greek language means to hold down, to shove it down, or to purposefully alter the course. Do you know that in the Greek idea, in the Greek understanding, this often had to do with ships, ships at sea. A ship at sea who is supposed to go in one heading purposefully goes in a completely different heading. That is suppressing. That is suppressing the truth according to the Greek understanding of the word. And so I want you to think about this. In the ocean today, and I don't know if you ever watch these shows or follow these shows, but um, cargo ships in the ocean, they will have a certain course that is set. And the course, once it is in the cargo ship using GPS is going to constantly change its position and change its steering to make sure that it gets to the course that it is supposed to be on. Now, if you go in and change the headings, it will completely go off course. That cargo ship, as it is facing waves and wind and storms at sea, even when it's blown off course, it is self-correcting to get itself back onto the course. We are wired with a self-correcting mechanism that we purposefully press down or turn off because we don't want to go there. We don't want to follow God. So I turn off that self-correcting mechanism and I find myself going my own way. That's called suppressing the truth. You shove it down. God is angry when we suppress the truth. Instead of following his course heading, 
We follow our own course heading. We turn off the self-correcting mechanism. We turn it off through sin, through the sin nature, and we turn it back on when we come to Christ. But even Christians who have accepted Jesus have rejected his self-correcting mechanisms. And they have said to God, I will go my own way and I'll do my own thing and I'll follow my own plan. I'm not gonna follow the direction that you're setting out in my life. I have a different heading and I have a different plan and I have a different goal and we are gonna find ourselves in a mess if we continue down that path. One thing that angers God and one thing that he is going to reveal his wrath over is the fact that mankind has suppressed the truth. Second reason of why the wrath of God is going to come, according to Paul, is there has been a denial of evidence. A denial of evidence. Let's look at this together. Again, let me read from verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness uh, of men. In unrighteousness, they suppress the truth because what can be known about God is plain to them for God has shown it to them. What has God shown to us? He has shown us his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen ever since the creation of the world being understood through the things that have been made. What does that mean? It means that God has made himself evident to all mankind. So much so that just by looking at his creation, you can see his fingerprints everywhere. God's fingerprints are over everything. Yet what has mankind done? We have taken God out of that and we have re-explained all of the creation story. For example, and I was just going through this. I, I want to share with you six facts out of a list of 68 facts that you should really look at of how amazing God's creation is. God's creation points to not a, not a manufactured or not a, um, not a uh, accidental creation or an accidental big bang. The creation points to an intelligent design. Let me share with you some of the facts that make that case. Did you know, and this is just looking at the planet, okay, let's just look at the planet. Did you know that the planet, that Earth, is the exact right distance from the sun? Exactly. Did you know that if the planet were closer, it would burn up? And if it was moved just a little bit further away, we would freeze to death. The planet is exactly where it needs to be in relation to the sun. How does that just happen by chance through this magnificent explosion? How can that possibly happen? The only explanation is it points to an intelligent design, but we have denied the truth, we have suppressed the truth, and we have explained away the truth. Did you know that the planet has the exact right atmosphere? We have a very, very thin atmosphere. But did you know that it is the perfect density and thickness? If it was any thicker, it would produce a greenhouse effect that would cause everything on the surface to, to uh, heat up so much that there would be nothing left. If it was any thicker. 
Did you know if the atmosphere was any thinner, there would be no protection? It would be letting out too much of the heat of the earth so that we would freeze to death and it would become an ice age. It is perfect the way it is. How does that happen just through uh, some kind of miraculous Big Bang? It can't. It is an impossibility. It points to intelligent design. Did you know, and this is number three, that the, the, the earth is the perfect tilt? Have you ever thought about this? The earth is tilted on its axis at a degree of 23 and a half. Did you know that if it was tilted any more than that or any less than that, we would not exist the way that we do? These, that tilt of the earth is important on the seasons that happen on the planet. The land masses, did you know that we are tilted so that more of the earth in the northern hemisphere in the, winter t- or in the uh, summertime gets the sun because it's the majority of land mass and that's where food is produced? Do you know that if it was tilted the other way, if it was tilted in a, in a different way, there would be much hotter summers and colder winters? That vegetation could not grow if the earth was not tilted the way it is. We are the perfect distance. We have the perfect atmosphere. We have the perfect tilt. Did you know that the earth also spins at the perfect and the right velocity? Any faster, and you can, ex- you can experiment with this. Go to that, that spinny thing at the park and just spin your friends as fast as you can go and let them fly off, you know? We have the perfect velocity. Any faster, And we would have surface wind velocities in excess of 500 miles per hour. But any slower, there would be not enough wind and the earth would stay too long in different locations to not produce enough heat or cold to produce and cause vegetation to grow. We have the perfect velocity and the perfect tilt and the perfect atmosphere and the perfect distance. Did you know also that we have a perfect second planet called the moon that is right there next. Do you know what the moon does? It helps slow the rotation of the earth and it creates the tides that we have. It would not happen if the moon was not in place exactly where it needed to be in relation to the earth. We also have the right components. We are an earth based upon carbon. We are carbon uh, beings and carbon requires water. We require water in a very liquid state, obviously, in a very narrow range of temperatures. If our earth was not made up of what it's made up, we could not even exist. God's creation is amazing. And God has said in this verse, I made it evident. I showed it to you. In fact, if you start to wrestle with this question, did God create this or was this a, a massive, you know, a, a, a massive just uh, coincidence, you will start to, in your spirit, feel off. You'll feel like this is something's off with what they're presenting. The idea of evolution, the idea of a big bang is off. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel possible. Yet we have suppressed the truth and we have denied God and said, no, it has to be this way. We have to, we have to explain it away. Not just the planet. You look at people. You look at his creation, biology, down to the smallest cell. Cannot happen by accidents. It, accident it can't happen by coincidence. God's fingerprints 
are on everything that he created from the beginning of creation. Look what he says. He says, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen ever since the creation of the world, being understood through the things that have been made. So God has said, look, I have made it evident. You don't need a preacher standing up telling you. It's evident everywhere you look. Look at the creation. Look at humanity. Look at the planet. Look at the relation of the planet to everything else. It is intelligent design. So God says, I have made it evident to you. Look how he concludes that. So people are without excuse. What is that going to mean? That means every one of us will stand before God and you cannot say, I, I didn't know. There was nothing evident. I couldn't tell. I thought surely evolution was the way it was. I thought surely the Big Bang had to have happened the way that it says, the way all of those scientists said. I, I, I believe that it had to have been the case. And God will say, huh, no excuses. You can't stand up before God like your, children, your child stands before you. I didn't know. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to hit my sister. I didn't know that. I didn't know, God, that you really created it all. Because of that, God's wrath will be revealed. Because there has been a suppression of truth. There has been a denial of the evidence. The third reason that God's wrath will come is that there has been a refusal to glorify God. We have just flat out refused to glorify him. Let's look at how Paul explains this. He says, so people are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks. Do you know that the word for glorified, some of your versions will say honored. They, they refuse to honor him as God. They refuse to glorify him as God. They basically said, nope, there is no God. We will not honor you. We will not praise you. We will not glorify you. The word glorified in the Greek language is the word doxazo. doxazo. It's where we get our word doxology from. Have you heard of the doxology? There are several doxologies that were written, but probably the most famous one in 1674. Remember the one that says, praise God uh, from whom all blessings flow? Praise him all creatures here below. I'm not gonna sing it because that would be painful, but you know the, you know the doxology. We have refused to honor him or glorify him or give him praise and honor. And God says, look, that's the reason for my wrath. My wrath is coming because you suppress the truth. You deny the evidence. You will not honor me as God or glorify me as God. Number four, Paul says it's also because of darkened hearts. So people are without excuse. They did not know, even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks. Instead, their thinking became futile and their senseless hearts were made dark. Hearts that were made, literally the word in the Greek means covered over with darkness. 
Because when you refuse to honor him as God, when you refuse to give thanks to him as God, your heart will become hard and your heart will become dark. And that's nothing new. That is something you know because you've probably experienced those times in your life where you have just denied God, you pushed him to the side, you haven't honored him, you haven't been in his word, you haven't been in an active relationship with him, and you have probably even felt a covering that happens. I just feel like my heart is getting harder. I feel like my heart is getting darker. We'll take that and expand that out for generations, and the world becomes dark, and the world becomes hard-hearted. Fifth reason, God saying through Paul, they suppress the truth, they deny the evidence, they refuse to glorify God, they have darkened hearts, and they have exchanged God. They have exchanged him. Look at this. So people without excuse, even though they knew him, they didn't glorify him or give thanks. Instead, their hearts became, their thinking became futile, their senseless hearts were made dark. Claiming to be wise, they became fools because they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for an image in the form of mortal man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things and dollar bills and Porsches and Ferraris and huge houses and boats and ATVs and big bank accounts and sports heroes. We have exchanged the truth of God, the worship of God for a God that we have made in our own image. And that angers God. He has let it go on. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in loving kindness. He's hoping that people repent. He doesn't want people to fall under the wrath of God, but his wrath will eventually come. He will say, I have, I'm not taking it anymore. It's done. You've had every opportunity you could possibly have, and you still haven't repented. You've exchanged me for something else, and God's wrath will get poured out. The final one that Paul says is that they have had an accepted lie. So here's the reason for the wrath. Because the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of the world, and it's evidenced in this stuff. They've suppressed the truth. They've denied the evidence. They have refused to glorify God. They have darkened hearts. They have exchanged the glory of God for something else. And not only have they suppressed truth, that just means pushing it down, but they have actually accepted a lie and they believe the lie to be the truth. Now we see that everywhere we go. They have believed lies and they have accepted lies as truth. Therefore, it says, God gave them over in their evil desires of their hearts to impurity to dishonor their bodies with one another. They traded the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Paul says, here's the reason for the wrath of God. Because they have not only suppressed the truth, but they have believed a lie. They have exchanged the glory of God. They have, they have refused to give honor and glory to God. They have darkened hearts. All of these things are why the wrath of God will eventually come at the end of all things. So what are we preparing for? We're preparing for his return. 
Jesus is going to return, it says in Acts, the same way that he ascended is the same way that he will descend and come back and return. He will come back to bring, not only to collect the church, but he will also come then to unleash wrath and fury upon the world, an ungodly world, an unrighteous world that have believed the lie. So the two positions we can possibly be in are these. There's, there's no, no other ones. Either you are under the wrath of God or you are free from the wrath of God. One final thing that I want to show you with what Paul says to help wrap this up today. And that is the results. So what are the results of the reasons that God gave? What's going to happen? What's going to happen because of the way that the world has become? What, what, what did God do? How does, how does God respond? And I want you to notice, I'm going to show you a couple of words that he says. <clears throat> he goes on in chapter 1. Paul says this, For this reason, look at these words, God gave them up. How would you like to be in the position thinking, you know what, did God give me up? Now God has has freely offered his grace. He has freely offered forgiveness. But if you don't receive that, if you don't accept it, he says, I have given you up. He has given the world up, it says, to shameful passions. Even their women exchanged natural relations for what is against nature. Likewise, the men abandoned natural relations with women and were burning with passion toward one another. Men committing shameful acts with other men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. God is basically, what what does that mean? God gave them up. God says, look, if you don't want me, you don't have to have me. If you don't want to follow me, you don't have to follow me. You can do whatever you want. But if you don't follow me and you don't glorify me and you believe a lie rather than truth, don't expect anything from me. I always find it fascinating how people get upset when natural disasters occur. And they say, well, where was God? If God is such a loving God, he wouldn't allow this to happen. Oh, really? You have denied him. You have suppressed the truth. You have not glorified him. You have rejected him every step of the way. You have believed a lie. You have a heart that is dark. And you expect God to just intervene at your command. That's a problem. Paul says, God gave them up. You want to be this way? You want to do this? Fine. Go do it. And you will receive the punishment that comes with that. And then he says the second word. And let's look at the second one. And just as they did not see fit to recognize God, look what it says next. God gave them over. So, So the two phrases Paul uses, God gave them up and God gave them over. You don't want to follow me? Don't follow me. You want to live your own life? Live your own life. Do whatever you want. Be however you want to be. Deny me. Live according to the truth. Don't glorify me. If that's what you want, you can do that. God gave them up, and then God gave them over. They did not see fit to recognize him as God, so he gave them over. He said, fine. Do it your own way. And he said, if you want to be depraved, just be depraved. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what is not fitting. 
They became filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. They are foolish, faithful, uh, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve death, they not only do them, but they also approve of others who practice the same. That last little phrase, they approve of others who practice the same. In other words, they like to get people around them who think depraved thoughts in the way that they do, and they will give approval to whatever it is that you want to do or whatever it is that the group wants to do. I found this to be true many times in dealing with couples who are on the verge of divorce. Couples on the verge of divorce will start having conflict. And who becomes the best friend of the woman or who becomes the best friend of the man? It is other women or other men who have gone through divorces themselves and who then pat them on the back and say, it's better, you should just leave him. He'll never change, he's such a jerk. They give hearty approval to things that they know they should not do. Do you understand this? This is God's saying, here's why my wrath will come. His wrath is not just coming because he feels in a bad mood one particular day. That's not why it's coming. God's wrath is coming because he has warned and warned and warned and warned. He has said and said and said. He has stated and stated. He has pleaded and pleaded. He has asked. He has sent his only son to take our sins upon himself. And yet people still turn their backs on him and reject him. So I ask you again, are you under the wrath or are you free from the wrath that will come? I want to finish this with chapter 2 verses 1 and then verses 5 through 10. So just look at this together. So Paul turns the page, and it's, it's really the same thought. It's the next verse after this verse. Paul says this, Therefore, you are without excuse, O oh man. Again, he's reminding, you're, you're not going to have an excuse. You're not going to talk your way out of things with God. I have a teenage son that, that tends to be able to talk his way out of things because he is stubborn and unrelenting, and finally we just give up. I just, you know, what, whatever. Okay. Not good parenting skills. I'm not uh, advocating that. But sometimes it's just you get worn down, and it's like, okay, I'm done. That's not going to be God. You will not be able to stand before God and say, well, I didn't know any better. We will all be without excuse. Skip down to verse 5. Paul says this, By your hard and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. When the wrath comes, it's because we deserve it. When God's righteous judgment is revealed, he will pay back each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good are seeking glory, honor, and immortality, he's going to give to, to them, to us, eternal life. See, that's the good news in this. You don't have to be under the wrath of God. You don't have to be fearful of the wrath of God. You don't have to dread the day of the Lord coming. You can look forward to it with joy and anticipation if you have accepted him 
in your life as Lord and Savior. If you admitted, have admitted that I'm a mess, I need God, you've made a decision that Jesus is the only way, you've decided to turn your life over to him, you've asked him for forgiveness, and now you're walking with him in holiness every step of the way, you don't have to be in fear or dread whatsoever. You can look forward to the day because you are one who is by perseverance. You're seeking good. You're seeking glory. You're seeking honor and immortality. You're seeking eternal life. And God is going to bless you with that. And if you've made that decision, you are no longer under the wrath of God. You are free from the wrath of God. That is good news. But, and Paul ends with this, but to those who are self-seeking, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and fury. There will be trouble and hardship for every human soul that does evil. But there will be glory, honor, and shalom. Remember shalom? Shalom means completeness, wholeness, peace, everything. There will be glory and honor and shalom to everyone who does good. Who does good? It's the one who says, Jesus, I need you. I recognize my need. I've decided to turn my life over to you. I've decided, Jesus, you're the only way. I've asked him for forgiveness. He has forgiven me, and my name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. And I don't have to worry about wrath, and I don't have to worry about fury. You know who I, what I have to worry about? Is the loved ones around me that are under the wrath and the fury. So today, have you found yourself facing the wrath and the fury of God because you have denied him? You have denied the evidence of him? You've suppressed the truth? You have rejected him? You have not glorified him? You have believed a lie rather than believing the truth. If you've found yourself in that position today, you should be in fear. You should be trembling. You should be very, very concerned. It's not going to be a fun day. It's not going to be a, 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 you know, God's fury and wrath is not just a little inconvenience. It is going to be the worst day, the most terrible day. If you have accepted him, and if you have trusted in him, and if you've given your heart to him, there is nothing to fear, only joy as he returns. So today, it's time to make a decision, not only for yourself, but maybe you are one who says, yes, I have accepted. I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm not under God's fury and wrath at all anymore. I've accepted him as savior of my life, but I have a family member. I have friends. Maybe I have multiple family members. And I am really worried for them. And so maybe today you need to pray for yourself and make sure that you're right with God. Or maybe today you just want to say, God, I want to pray for these others because I want to make sure that they are right with God. Because I don't want them to face the wrath and the fury. Would you pray with me? Father, today I want to pray specifically for those in here who aren't sure. They haven't accepted you. They, they have kept you at arm's length. And I know that there are those in here who have who've never said, Jesus, I need you. 
They're walking in their own pride, in their own arrogance. They have denied the evidence of you. They have believed a lie rather than believing the truth. And right now, as they sit here today, they are facing the wrath and the fury. And I pray for them, Lord, that today would be a day where they make the decision to be right with you. Where they say to you, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I am a mess. I need you, Jesus. So please forgive me. Please come into my heart and change everything about my life. I want assurances, Lord. I want to know that I'm saved. Saved from the wrath that will come. Lord, for others in this room who are sure, who have committed to you, who are following you, and they love you with all of their heart, and they look forward to the day where you return, there's still many who are just so concerned about friends and family members and loved ones, and they today are just thinking of them. And so, Lord, you, who are the God of all, who hears all prayers, we don't have to take a number and wait, Lord, you hear them all. At the exact moment, we are just lifting up to you right now, people that we know, that we are praying for, that we are hoping will finally make a decision to follow you. Please, Lord, move in their hearts. Please, Lord, break through the hardness that is there. Please bring people across their paths who can continue to speak truth and help them to know you. Lord, I pray that today we would have confidence knowing that the wrath that is going to come is not something we have to worry about. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Though we don't deserve it, though we can never earn it, Jesus took that fury and that wrath that we deserve upon himself on our behalf. For all who trust in him, who trust in his name, will be saved. You have reached out to us. Lord, help us to accept that gift that you have given. Father, we thank you for this day, and we pray for your blessing over it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day and may God bless you.